Hi, this is Mary Fall, and you're listening to Michael's Record Collection. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Michael's Record Collection. This is episode number 71, and I'm really excited to bring you my conversation with Mary Fall. If you're not familiar with Mary's work, she's got one of the most unique voices in music today. Very haunting voice. She was the lead vocalist for October Project and is now a fantastic solo artist. She's got a new album out. It's called Can't Get It Out of My Head. It's an album of 10 cover songs, classic songs from classic artists. Some are more obvious covers than others, but she puts her own spin on all of them and I was really happy to get to talk to her about it because I've been enjoying it ever since I got my hands on it. So I will bring you that conversation with Mary Fall momentarily. Before we get started, just a constant reminder, uh, follow me on Twitter at Mike's Records, and you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Michael's Record Collection. Uh, you can go to michaelsrecordcollection.com. It's got links to everything. It's got my Patreon. You can go there and find out if, uh, if it's right for you to support this independent endeavor. And if it is, fantastic. If it's not, no pressure. Thanks for looking is all I can say. And uh, you can sign up to get my free Michael's Record Collection newsletter in your email every week. I will not spam you. I will just send you the newsletter and maybe the occasional update about the newsletter. But primarily just the newsletter. That's all you're going to get. So without further ado, I can't wait to bring you my interview with Mary Fall. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Michael's Record Collection. I'm very excited to be joined today by Mary Fall. Mary is a uh, wonderful solo artist, was with the October Project uh, a while back, but now uh, doing her own thing, has a new album out called Can't Get It Out of My Head. Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Nice to be here. I always start out with my guests asking about your sort of your musical origin story. Um, were you from a musical family? How did you uh, really start getting interested in music to begin with? Well, I always sang. My mother uh, says that or she said that I could I could sing before I could talk, and uh, I. My family wasn't musical per se, but I was lucky that I was a little kid in the 60s and I had siblings that were much older than me in their teens. And so they had great record collections. Each one had sort of their own individual taste. So my sister, Joan, was 16 when I was a very little girl and she had all the great female singers of the 60s that I used to sing along with up in her big, beautiful bedroom. And um, I'd sing along with Petula Clark while my sister was getting ready for dates and sing along with Dusty Springfield and sing, you know, and my, my oldest brother was the folky in the house. So it was tons of Tom Paxton, that Ramblin' Boy Tom Paxton record is like in, in my DNA. I, I listened to that so many times and he had Peter, Paul, Mary and lots of Judy Collins. And, and then my other brother was the more, you know, rock and roll prog kind of guy. I, the, he had the boy music in the house. Mm -hmm. So in the midst of all of that, and then I, would, you know, would sing along with, with all of these records. So it was a, a mishmash of styles. And I think because I didn't get stuck into one particular genre, you know, uh, I think that that all sort of went. And, and then I, as I got into my, my teen years, I I did high school plays, musicals and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I liked all that stuff and that developed my voice, obviously, and um, you know, projection and, and things like that. But when I developed my own taste in music, I, I started loving things like British folk music. So a lot of the way I sing, if there was sort of a family tree, Sandy Denny would be over here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the Thompson would be over here. And then they would, if they spawned, it would be me. And, uh, so, uh, you know, um, so I, I always had a very big voice, but I always sort of connect, resonated with, with British folk singers, you know, mm -hmm. and Tabor is another person. I, I learned a lot about how to interpret a song. I think she's maybe the finest interpreter of songs 
I mean, in, in the past four years for me mm-hmm. in terms of folk music, things like that. Yeah. Did you have a first favorite record? I, I know you had a lot of stuff going on with your siblings, but what was the first one that really grabbed you? Well, it's funny because a lot of those songs are on this this record. That I just is the whole point of the record was, you know, can't the the, the title is can't get it out of my head, which means mm-hmm. they had grabbed me from the first. I would say the first single I ever bought was the Rolling Stones' "Ruby Tuesday." I was very very young, mm-hmm. and but the first overall record that just hit me as the most beautiful thing I ever heard was the first Mamas and Papas record. Okay. That just washed over me. Uh, it was just pure sonic ear candy. And um, it's funny that I ended up being in a band like October project that had, you know, two guys and two girls and lots of harmony and, and things like that. Um, so that I would say that was probably the first album that just, just wowed me. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit and ask you, uh, this is not something that happens for every artist. How did you end up doing the theme song for an Anne Rice audio book? That's a really good, that's a great story. Um, out of the blue, uh, I got a letter for an email from Anne. And I guess a fan of hers had said, you should listen to Mary Ball and October Project because some of our songs on the first record were, let's say, inspired by Anne and some of Anne's books. And we had hoped to get a song into the film version of Interview with the Vampire, but it didn't mm-hmm. happen. And then, um, so at all those years later, there's there's a beautiful email from Anne, and uh, it was like a fan letter. And she said, "I've just found you, and I love your voice." And she ended up putting um, putting my voice as a character in in her novel, The Wolves of Midwinter. And so I then I ended up writing the theme song for the book, and because uh, we we sort of became email friends and. Anyway, it, and Anne is such a vivid writer that it's it's easy, easy to write things for her. And then subsequent to that, interestingly enough, she asked me to start to write. So she was shopping around um, for a, a production deal for some of her books for television so that they would, it would be, you know, made into a series. And she said, you know, I'd love to bring some songs of yours with me when I meet with these producers. So John LaSeller and I just started, <laughs> we wrote a lot of vampire songs. <laughs> it's like at a certain point, I said to him, John, I am just vampired out at this point. <laughs> so, but I said, and then of course, you know, Anne, Anne passed away this year, which was really sad. Yeah. Really sad. She was a marvelous woman, a very, very generous soul. Yeah. You don't uh, often get music on it. I mean, you get sort of um, some interstitial music on yeah. audiobooks, but you don't normally yeah. get like full songs like that. So it's, oh. it's very interesting. Yeah. You know, October project came along at a time when I was, I was in an extremely hectic time in my life. I didn't get out to the record stores very often. Where did they actually file October project in the music stores? Well, it was under O, but I mean, in terms of like the genres. <laughs> yeah. yeah, in the genre. Because um, it's kind of, it kind of. I mean, I think we were out with, with the other alternative kind of pop slash alternative. Mm-hmm. We were, they, they referred to us as chamber pop. 
appropriate yeah it's it's definitely not what the kids were all listening to at the time so you know it's a, it's always interesting to me when you find these interesting bands that sort of don't really neatly fit into the niche uh, one niche or another and you sort of see what people think and if you ask 10 different people what kind of music is october project you might get 10 different answers yeah yeah well we had we had sort of subgroups that liked us we had kind of a, a little bit of a, of a metal following, believe it or not. Certainly some of the prog people liked us. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the girl music people liked us, the Sarah McLaughlin kind of people liked us. A um, little bit, a little bit of a goth following there as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was, it was because we, we did have, I wouldn't call it a goth quality, but it, it did have a sort of uh, haunting quality to it. Mm -hmm. Especially the, First, not the second record so much, but definitely the first record. Yeah, for sure. Uh, now, this is a—I mean, you guys put out a couple of albums and disbanded. And I—I I heard you talk about it, and and I heard you—you know—you were—you were feeling that you weren't going to be given an opportunity to write and and things well, of that nature. Um, I wonder, looking back on that, when when the band reformed, were you even con considered to come back in the band? Were you even asked or consulted at all? No, and I, 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 I think we, they did, they knew I wouldn't. So it just, it was done. We were done. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, they, they formed a, I guess, November project, which didn't last very long. And then they reformed again and whatever, you know, they're doing what they want to do and mm -hmm. I doing what I want to do. And um, I felt we had come to the end of the road. I felt that the music had started to become to my ears, a bit repetitive. Mm -hmm. And it had lost some of that initial like, passion. You know, um, the, the lyrics began to get a little more obscure, a little more studied in that way where you, it, you know, I, I have to know what I'm singing about, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I just felt like we had, we, we had two, we made two beautiful records and that was enough. And, and I, I really did need to grow. Um, and, and I needed to, to write and I needed to learn how to write and I had to do it on my own time. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. That's and you I were, um, at one point ready to give up music, the music business, and you had to actually be coaxed back into it. Isn't that right? <laughs> I was done. I, I really, I, you know, I had, I, I had done the big, so I had gotten signed subsequent to October project to Sony classical, which was just wonderful, wonderful in many ways. And, um, but it was a, the record was too broad, you know, it, it, it should have been, I think just, just honed in a little bit. Um, but you know, they wanted me to sing with an orchestra. They wanted me to write for movies and I had to do an aria and that didn't sit well with all of the radio people out there expecting the third October project record. Mm -hmm. It is what it, it was, what it was. And I think the record stands the test of time, but uh, my contract was not renewed, and so everybody at Sony Classical was was fired. There was like tumbleweed going down the hallways there. <laughs> they gave me all this equipment, like turntables and stuff. And then the BMG guys came in, and and yeah, my the Germans came in, and my my contract wasn't renewed. So kind of got my heart broken, but yeah. picked myself up, dusted myself off, and went back out and got a you know made Dark Side of the Moon, got a new manager, made Dark Side of the Moon, and that was just so much fun to do.
Just as that record was about to come out, V2 ran out of money and they folded and, you know, bought out, folded. I think all that's left of V2 America is like, uh, I always say like an old guy with a visor over a bunch of <laughs> accounting books. <laughs> and that's it. And, you know, they gave us, everybody that had albums coming out, they gave us lifeboats in terms of we could buy back the record. But mm -hmm. that was, that was a real blow. Yeah. And, and so disappointing. And that's when I said, I can't, I can't do this again. I, I've gotten my heart broken now twice. And I was older and I, I thought I have to, my whole life has been devoted to this. My whole life, all I thought about, like I just was so focused and I wasn't going to stop until I got a deal, all that. And I had to say, well, I guess that's not going to happen. And so I learned how to grow a garden. I, to get myself out of that funk, I said, well, I'm going to get every book on biodynamic farming and I am going to learn how to do this. And, and I, and it was exhausting because, you know, it's exhausting to do. And I had to dig and dig and do this. And, that, and But I, I, you know, made a lot of mistakes. I met a lot of great people and, and subsequently I met my husband through all of that. And, and through that time, this is getting wind is going into my head and um but that was life-changing for me and it was my husband soon on who said well so what, what's your next show and I said no I'm not gonna he's like what do you mean you don't have another show what's wrong with you and he's, <laughs> he said oh you're going back out said, no no and he said you're and I said look I I, I don't have a band right now I I I get, he goes, well, go out by yourself. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not a good enough guitar player to do that. I'm not going to throw away my career looking like an amateur. And so he went this summer that we met, he dragged me out. And I mean, forcibly dragged me out to every God forsaken open mic night. And I remember the first time he did it, I looked at him like, are you, are you crazy? And then the diva came out at me. I was like, I don't do open mic night. Okay. <laughs> and the thing is, he, he said, well, this is good for you. you and, and he just did it. He, he's very, he's, he just bullied me into doing it. And <laughs> as I went, which was, I, it was a nice sort of side of the road kind of restaurant in the middle of nowhere. And I thought, well, nobody's there. Oh, all right. So I went in and, and it was looked like a nice place. And I thought, oh, maybe a little nice sound system. So I went up and I, I did a couple of songs I had written. And this girl looked a little worse for wear and tear, a um, little tipsy. She sidles up to me at the bar because the bartender brought, bought me a you know, gin tonic. And I'm sitting there and she's like, you know, you... You must be like the biggest Mary Fall fan in the world. <laughs> I'm busted. I'm so busted. But, here, but she didn't know because, you know, no one knew what I looked like when I was in October Project because you mm -hmm. couldn't really see what I looked like. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, which is good. And so I, I said, well, not, I said, Mary Fall, you, you don't say. And then her boyfriend sidled up and he had like a, one of those big bushy mustaches and he's like you know there are little moments here and there just little moments where you sound just like that girl from october <laughs> no kidding yeah. <laughs> but i was so bad at my husband and um but he was right in that it gave me because he'd take me out a couple of nights a week and i would walk into these places where they didn't know who i was they didn't care it was me having to get up and do two or three songs and being able to grab the audience by myself, no band, mm -hmm. just me and people who didn't know my material, anything. And um, it, I started to get confident. And then I said, all right, Rich, I'm going to prove this to you that I, it can't be done. I'm going to book a little show in the middle of nowhere, Connecticut, little coffee house kind of thing. 
And I'm going to show you that, you know, three songs in an open mic night is one thing, but a full two hour show. I don't know. So I did it. And there were, I didn't tell anybody about it. I just, booked it. I didn't like put the word out, mm-hmm. but there were some people there that had been fans, October project fans. And they, they were so kind. And they said that you have to do this. This is so good. This is so different because the thing about October project, and I understand why the record company, for example, didn't want us to speak because we were all very funny people and it ruined the vibe of October project. So they wanted us to be very mysterious, you know? Yeah. I can see that. uh, But that, and I understand that, but that's not who I, my friends would come to see the show when I was with October project and they'd say that that's not you. And I'd say, well, it's part one of me. It's not all of me, but now with the show I do now, first of all, I started to tell stories about my family, about my life, about everything. And I wanted to give people a full, a full experience of, you know, being, you know, (laughs) make you laugh, make you cry, just telling everything. And I could never have done that. It just wouldn't have been appropriate with October project. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and, and so this whole other performer came out in me. And so it's fun now because, and, and I got better as a guitar player, of course. And, and, and I, I, I got myself an electric guitar and a delay and reverb pedal. And that changed my world. And uh, so I just, I have a style that's minimal, but very atmospheric, very. So it's, it's a way to frame my songs and frame what I'm doing at that, that is appropriate for my voice. Yeah. And it's, yeah. It's great that you brought up the word atmospheric because that yeah. takes me back to your your uh, recording the dark side of the moon, which is, it is a daunting task to take on that material because it can go so incredibly wrong. Yeah. And, and especially if you decide you're going to do it your way, which you did, you, you, you didn't, you know, you don't stick to note for note what they did. And yet it is a fantastic interpretation of the material. It works very well. And I just wonder well, we weren't the only people to cover Dark Side. It's been covered true, by many true. bands, but when and all you, in their own unique way. But when you have to do it, did was that a daunting task for you, or or were you? That was a group effort. I have to mm-hmm. say, um, I am extremely hands-on with arrangements with with my records. I mean, every tiny itty bitty detail, and until a song is absolutely my own, I if I can't do it, I won't cover it. And uh, with this, though, the two producers, David Werner and Mark Doyle, they had such a clear vision of what they wanted um, that it was one of the few times that I I, I wasn't a control freak <laughs> because it, 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 it was nice because most of the time producers don't don't have that clear vision. you got to come in with the vision. And I was able to it let me loose to just. It, you know, do my own interpretations and, and they, they sort of, they, I, I felt free to try all these different things. And, but in terms of just how we, we approached it in that, imagine if we were doing a tribute record, like we're with a bunch of other acts, but every song had to be unique. So we didn't also want to do it all in one tone. So every song has its own little world. It's a world within a world. And, um, so I, I really chalk that up a lot to, to David and Mark. And um, but and then I brought a lot of things like my chanting that I did and, and things like that. And I think it was the sensibility that I had that comes through as well. I we each came at it from a, a different viewpoint. And for me, Dark Side of the Moon has such a deeply, for me, a deeply powerful. I, for me, a spiritual message. I, I don't know if Roger Waters intended that exactly, but I I always resonated with his lyrics. I think he he was kind of a prophet when you think about it. When you go all the way back, he reminds me a little bit of T.S. Eliot. And I just, I feel like what he wrote in, in the early 70s resonates now in our world more than it did when the record came out. It spoke to the future. Mm-hmm. And so prescient and, and 
um, you know, the sort of that we live in this world now that's a cacophony of information coming at us 24-7 and and this new, this sort of dystopian future that may or may not lie ahead of us. Um, this sort of all this talk of AI and transhumanism and, and all of this stuff, it, it's scary. And I I was feeling all of those feelings when we were making that record that where are we going as humans? Are we losing our soul? Are we losing our center as as as, as a species? What, you know, and and so I was able to pour all of those feelings into Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, that's what I think I brought. Okay, it's uh, I do find myself listening to animals a lot more these days. To just yeah, to, yeah. <laughs> it, it's uh, it's. It is getting scary. It's getting a little bit scary. Uh, let's yeah. talk about Can't Get It Out of My Head. This is, it's a collection of 10 songs, and you you already mentioned these are the songs that got stuck in your head, got, uh, got part of your DNA growing up, and you already yeah. mentioned uh, Ruby Tuesday, which is one of the songs you do here. And Can't Get It Out of My Head is a, is a great uh, double meaning with these are songs that you can't get out of your head, and you start yeah. off the album with yeah. this just beautiful acoustic guitar driven version of the ELO classic, some keys, some light percussion, some string sounds, hauntingly beautiful version. Led the album with it. You named the album after it. What is it about this song specifically that resonated with you so much? Well, well first of all, I'm a '70s girl. Okay, so I love Yellow, and I make no bones about it. I mean, I bought the whole retrospective. I bought. I just love. I I love and and Jeff. I mean, I I I love Yellow, and this was a song that used to play on the jukebox of the Catholic high school, the cafeteria <laughs> box, and I. Okay. I I hated that place and um, I was miserably unhappy and lonely there. And um, so I used to, I used to, I used to listen, I used to put a quarter in and listen to it and it used, it would transport me out of there. And, uh, and, you know, it's sort of, it's such a, I love watery songs, lots of October projects, watery songs, you know, mm. and, but it's just watery and magical. And, um, and I've always wanted to record it. And it's one of the songs that, you know, I, I play live, just I, I can do a solo show and play that song live. And, you know, it because it's so nicely written, it works solo or with a big band. It's the yeah. mark of a good song. Yeah, I don't have like a breakdown of all of the the credits, but were the strings programmed for this? Because they sound no, really good. No, they, weren't, no. they were real strings. We had, we had a chamber ensemble, a great little chamber ensemble out of Syracuse, New York. Mark Doyle, my producer, wrote all of the string parts and he conducted them. So yeah, no, those are real apps. I don't like I don't like synthetic strings. I don't yeah. like the way it sounds. So when we're when we're putting the arrangements together, we'll we'll use those just to get an idea of it will mm. it work or not. But no, I I refuse to use synthetic strings. I, we all we have we have this nice ensemble up there. They they're great. So yeah. Yes, there are some of the some of the newer patches you can barely tell, but they sounded so good that I just had yeah. to ask that. Yeah, um, yeah. Mark Doyle played multiple instruments on this album. Um, <laughs> just the, about everything. Yeah, the press release says everything but strings and drums. Um, yeah. Did who played the drums on this album? Oh, my drummer Josh DeCaney, who was okay. in the band that I when I bring the boys out. Uh, he's our drummer. He's great. He's yeah. fabulous. And uh, so, um, yeah, that was it. But the rest of it is other than the string players and, and Josh, it, it, it's all Mark. 
all of it. And he, he's so, you know, he's, he's fabulous because everything, he just, he just lays it down, you know, and right the first time. Mm-hmm. It's great. The bass, the keyboards, piano, great, great electric guitar player, um, acoustic guitar player, everything. He's, he spoils you, really. You it's talk a very about- efficient way to make a record. <laughs> yeah. Ruby Tuesday is a is a song. Obviously, it resonated for you. You went and bought it. Your first your first single. Your first single never leaves you. Mine. I had to sneak out of our neighborhood and cross a street. I wasn't allowed to cross to go buy my first uh, single, which was "Come Sail Away" by Sticks. And um, oh my goodness! <laughs> and uh, I, I played the heck out of that. But Ruby Tuesday, the, there are very cool strings on this uh, this one in the bridge, particularly. arrangements was it a collaboration did you come up with the arrangements how did that work now i'm, I'm sorry but on which on all of it or on on just ruby tuesday? um well overall but specifically on the the bridge of ruby tuesday on the no no i would say um we didn't stray that far from the original on that song not that far still got still keyboard based mm-hmm. and mark did the um Mark just did a, a string arrangement for it. And I yeah. said, keep it kind of in keeping with that early Rolling Stones kind of chamber ensemble-esque vibe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where sometimes they'd use a harpsichord and things like that. I I, I didn't want to, I, I love early Rolling Stones. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Moody Blues up next with Tuesday Afternoon. an interesting so because i almost we almost didn't do that song really yeah because i love i i always love tuesday afternoon but the bridge i was not convinced of that bridge and and it seemed a little airy fairy to me you know this way into the fairy land and and it sounded silly when i was singing it i said i don't know mark we have to come up with something really different i mean I want, I want, I want something that's just going to take you to an unexpected place here. And we were, we noodle around and noodle around. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why don't we do this? Like we did dark side. Why don't I, I'm feeling like I want something powerful and dark underneath. So I, I'm very interested in uh, Vedic astrology, which is the astrology of India. Very okay. interested in it. Um, and uh, part of uh it's it, it's very complex, but but one of the things that's that's part of Vedic astrology are these mantras, these chants that you do, and 
that you are you are chanting to the planetary lords of, of particular planets that rule over particular days. And I thought, huh, Tuesday. Let me see what the chant is for, for Mars, the ruler of Tuesday. And it was om gong kring gong sabab, you know, and and I said, that's it, that's perfect. It rhymes, it's deep. And so I got my voice as low as I could possibly go. And then we just doubled it, tripled it, quadrupled it. So I sound like a group of men. I think I scared Mark. But that gave it that driving force underneath. And then I said, let's just, let me do some whispering and let me, let's just, let's just make it completely psychedelic. And it'll be great in surround because then we'll have all those layers that are so nice, nice to hear when you, when you do a surround mix. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. And, and the thing is, we, I think we conquered it and it's my favorite part of the song now. It's one yeah. of my favorite things. Yeah, I, I like the arrangement. The I was going to ask you about that because I wrote this down in my notes about the vocals. Were were the layered backing vocals? Is that all your voice or is that's, it other? Voices? That's all me. Yes, all okay. me. We spent a lot of time <laughs> layering upon. It's layers upon layers upon layers. And how many uh, yeah. overdubs is that? How many tracks? I have no. You'd have to ask. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea. I have no idea. That's amazing. Uh, track four is River Man from Nick Drake. And I wondered when you cover songs by men or women with very high voices, do you take a different approach to them? Because your voice is very unique. Uh, you know, because I have a I have I have different little little islands in my voice. I have the deep, very voice, very deep. And um, then, you know, I could I have the high I, it, it, it has to serve the song. We just we we work on keys for a really long time until we find the sweet spot, the spot that really conveys whatever the the message of the song is. And um, with with Riverman though, that was a different challenge because that it sat nicely in my voice right from the start. I could have sung it in several different keys, but a that song's a sacred cow. Nick Drake is a sacred cow. Don't go there. Like it's just like don't go there and don't go there unless it's as good and and nobody's as good as Nick Drake. And especially with the idiosyncratic guitar playing and the string arrangements that he was so known for. So we had a, we had a think to us, well, what are we going to do? Cause I, I didn't want to lose the shimmering quality. And I said to Mark, why don't you try it on piano? Why don't you do something just shimmering? came by on her way said she had a word to say about things today and fallen leaves said she hadn't heard the news hadn't had the time to choose way to but she believes gonna see the river man gonna tell him all I can and Mark is such a good pianist his sensibility as a pianist is completely different than his rock guitar self and it was, he just played something again, the first time, first time he tried it so shimmering and beautiful. And I, that, that's it. That will work. That that's it. And then instead of the strings, I did, I used my vocals to, to do that. Um, and that's, that's it. But that, that, that may be my favorite song. I, 
from the first time I heard that song as a teenager, I, I thought one day I would love to record that song. It's just one of my all-time favorites. It's so it's so haunting and beautiful. Yeah. What, and one thing it really comes through with this set of songs and in, in interviews I've seen and read with you is just how big of a music fan you are, which is oh. great. It just puts oh, you... Yeah. It puts oh. you instantly on the same level as all of us that are out here geeking out about these old songs too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, and I, I, I've written in inside the the liner notes of the record that I needed. Mark and I both. We, you know, he had family things go on during the lockdown, not necessarily COVID related, but and I, I had personal loss and and just you know, the world in tumult in every way, shape and form. And I think we both felt that we needed to escape. And these songs, all of these are so close to me and they were like old friends to me, you know, um, like family almost. I think they, they are, mm-hmm. especially the Neil Young, yeah. especially that because I learned how to play guitar on a lot of those Neil Young songs. And those two albums after the gold rush, I, I played that album so many times. I mainlined it basically. <laughs> I, I, I love that record. Um, I can't hear him sing some of those songs now. Uh, I, I think he had done, remember when the unplugs were very, the, I think it was VH1 unplugged. Or MTV. Yeah. It's a, yeah. The MTV unplugged. And yeah. And unplugged. And when he sat down at that pipe organ and started to sing, well, I dreamed I saw the nights and our I burst into tears. I just, I, I just brought me right back. You know, um, something about his work just, just goes very, very deep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the, the other one that it was fun to try was, was the Mamas and the Papas song. You know, yep. I yeah. loved, and that was one that, that Ma, I love Mama Cass's voice. She's another sure. Part of the part of the uh, the recipe that that made my voice my voice was that swagger that that she had in her voice and you know she's a belter and um, sure. so but it was the swagger that I really liked and um, but this was a song that was the was the flip side of uh, I think Monday Monday uh, mm-hmm. and I think they I remember it being, or California it was one of one of the little you know, 45s. And mm-hmm. but it was Michelle that got to sing it. So I thought that I could, I could bring a little bit more of the Cass Elliott sensibility to that song, you know? Yeah. It's uh, got a feeling. It's a, I, for me, it's one of my favorite interpretations on the album because it's a very haunting version. And it, yeah. it has yeah. such a contrast to the original because of that yeah. haunting quality to it. Yeah. Um, and this thing came out when you were eight years old. So, I mean, you've been living with this for a long time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know that I still have mamas and papas on my, my iPhone. So when I'm driving in the car and I just let it like, you know, do the, you know, where it, where it jumps around. And random. Yeah. Random. It's a random. Just <laughs> mamas and papas on there. I still love them. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but the older I get, I have I have found that some of these old songs I can't even sing them without crying anymore. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but well, it's the emotional. I, I know what it is. Yeah, it's, it's the that time connection. travel aspect of it and all of that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it brings you back to another more innocent time. You know. Yeah. 
So we're just living in frightening to- times right now in every single way. And I just feel yeah. like you want to you want to go back to a, a, a place of innocence. You uh, you talked about Neil Young and you did Don't Let It Bring You Down. It's not maybe the most obvious song to cover from Neil's considerable catalog. Which and I know it's been covered a lot. Mm-hmm. That was, I, I almost didn't do it because, you know, there's a great seal cover and, of course, Annie Lennox. Um, but I... I had to sing that song. I just had to. Have, have have a dual thing for me. Not only that, that I loved them when I was young, but they have a, a message for me that still resonates very powerfully. And that's mm-hmm. that's one of those songs that has a very, very important. So if you don't know the song, I don't know how you couldn't, but if you didn't, I I I've all I guess I've always liked songs that have powerful messages in them, without being preachy. Mm-hmm. So you walk a fine line there. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a tough one to walk to. Yeah, it really is. You go back to your Pink Floyd uh, fandom with Comfortably Numb, taking yeah. on an iconic song and making it your own. Again, another, it's a risky move when you do this. You, you changed a little bit of the phrasing in the verses, which was an interesting choice. Relax, I'll need some information first. Just the basic facts. Can you show me where it hurts? There is no pain you are receiving A distant ship smoke on the horizon You are only coming through in waves Your lips move but I can't hear what you're saying Was we talked they about speak it? So I mean, and I, I mean, so I was sort of speak singing it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we talked a little bit about your um, approach to taking on such an iconic song. What was Mark's reaction when you chose this song, or did he suggest? It? Oh, he wanted it too. We both. It was. It was enough. We. It was like. Well, we have to do comfortably numb, and I just. I. I love that. Uh, that refrain, I, I I love it, and and I've I've, just, I've always wanted to record it, and um, you know the theme of the record was going back to my youth. That was a little done a little bit later. It was, you know, it was almost getting into the eighties. So I wanted to keep everything within a sort of late sixties, early seventies time frame. But mm-hmm. I just I love Pink Floyd, and I I had to do it. I mean. There's probably many more Pink Floyd songs that I will cover someday. That's great. I love it. Of course, your folk roots come out with with Judy Collins as since you've asked. Again, uh, not one of the the biggest songs in in her catalog, but coming from the same album, which did both sides now. What I'll give you since you've asked. 
Um, was the fact that Collins wrote this song herself a determining factor here, or was it just that you love the song? I love the song and I love her. And um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a beautifully written song. She's a good songwriter and, um, and, and a good discoverer of other songwriters as well. And I just always love the song and we did it in a different time signature and then she does it completely different. Um, and we gave it more of a of a groove than she gives it. And I used to sing this back in the day when I was when I after I left October Project and I put my own band together and I started going out a little bit on the road and I had made a little demo that I was selling, things like that. I I, I used to do this song. And um I I had to do something of Judy because she was a really big influence on me. Yeah. Then you take on a Beatle with George Harrison's Beware of Darkness. You got the Stones, you got the Beatles on here. Uh, well, one of the Beatles. And well, George was my favorite. Watch out now, take care. Beware of thoughts that linger. Winding up inside your head. around you in the dead of night Beware of sadness It can hit you It can hurt you I think this one's my favorite song on the entire album. I, I love the way the music just builds and subsides. So you get these great contrasts between the quieter and louder parts and the vocals grow in, in intensity throughout. I wanted to make, you know, he, I, 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 it was one of the few times Mark and I had a push pull. Mark wanted to put in more of the uh, Harrison esque flourishes, guitar flourishes, you know, mm -hmm. a little bit of that slide Beatles sounding and I, I absolutely, we have to de Harrison this this thing, de Beatle it, de Beatle it, okay? Because I want to make it my own, and I always felt it would that uh, a bigger sort of crescendo at the end would serve the message of that song. So I that was when I had a very heavy hand in the arrangement of that. That song, that all things must pass. That whole record has lived inside me, and this past year and a half. I, I was playing that song. I was playing all the, the actual song, All Things Must Pass, a lot. You know, it's a, it, it, it helps your soul. And, um, but Beware of Darkness, that's a message that, boy, is that stuck with me all these years. And uh, it's just wise words, very wise. So he's, he was like a, like a message from a wise old uncle, you know, yeah. especially Beware of Sadness. What always got me about George, too, if you think about him, in the midst of all of those lords, those dark lords of rock and roll, like Jimmy Page and you know Mick and mm -hmm. all those people, and, and and George was so light, you know, he's always wearing white, and 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 he just he was so unlike them, um, and in anybody else's hands, a lyric like that might have sounded preachy, but but George lived it it was authentic with him mm -hmm. so it never comes off that way 
as him ever. Mm-hmm. And on the other uh, end of that spectrum, it could come off as trite as well. So yeah, but yeah, it no. doesn't for him. You're right. No. We end the album with the great Valerio. I have to admit, I, I'm not a, uh, I'm not that well versed on Richard and Linda Thompson. Uh, who turned you on to these guys? Because it, I don't even think it was released outside the UK for many years. Oh, I think it was a boyfriend. Um, and, and who was into British folk and, uh, and, you know, so turn me on to all the British folkies and, and then, and then from that Renaissance, of course, Annie, Annie Haslam, but, but I love, as I said earlier, Sandy Denny, Jim Tabor, and I love those Richard and Linda Thompson records. We just, just, that just blew me away. And, um, everybody, uh, well, not every, you know, dimming of the day has been covered so many times. I knew I didn't want to do that. Um, it's, it's done. But nobody had done the great Valerio. And feed on what we see above Till our hearts turn like the seasons And we are acrobats of love one of my all-time favorites and I felt again that that was a very timely song a very haunting meditation on fame and um uh that one we had again we had to take it away from the Richard and Linda feel and that again that very idiosyncratic Richard Richard Thompson guitar playing so I we decided to make it a keyboard song and then Mark Mark just does this amazing outro. He surprised me with that. And it just, he just got all very sort of carnivalesque at the end and with sort of, or a pipe organy kind of thing. And it's so perfect. So perfect. I, I just love it. So you've got this album. It came out July 22nd. And as an artist, you make an album for you. But now that it's out in the world, what are your, what is your what what's the feedback you're getting? What are your expectations for this thing? Well, I just I spent the last couple of days stuffing envelopes with all the pre-sales. I mean, it was like, no, I can't see <laughs> it anymore. No. And um, just bags and bags and bags full of CDs. And but I'm getting, you know, from the people that have listened on Spotify and iTunes and everything, and, and the people who've received the record, I I'm, I'm getting, I mean, these are great songs. And, yeah. and I, I, I have such love for them and I think they maintain the integrity of the original, but they're still, if you're not going to bring something new, don't do a cover. You know, it's one of the reasons why much as I love her and I do love Carly Simon, I don't ever do Carly Simon because I sound a little bit like her. You could hear there's a bit of, it's our vibrato. So I don't feel like there's anything new that I could bring to one of her songs that she hasn't already done. And so I love her, but I've never covered her. But I, I want, I, I want, I just want, I want people to just escape and remember how much they love these songs. And I want it, I want them to, I just want to give them some joy and, and, and some refuge and maybe a little escape. Mm-hmm. That, that's it. And maybe to a newer audience, a younger audience that doesn't know some of these songs, like the Richard and Linda song. I want to bring some of these people or, and, and younger people may not know Nick Drake. I'd love to bring those artists to a, a whole new audience um, yeah. because they're fabulous. Sure. I, one of the things I thought about uh, when listening to this was how cool it would be to hear this version of can't get it out of my head first, because there were many years when I had no idea what Jeff was singing. That whole that whole uh, William Tell and Ivanhoe that whole section there. I, yeah, I I, I <laughs> twisted that line around just a little tiny bit. I 
um, I because I felt that the word Ivanhoe was easier to hold a note on. So yeah. he doesn't end with, but anyway. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, he ended on Lancelot, right? Yeah. 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 I, I didn't know what he was. He I had no idea what he was singing. I didn't have the lyrics and I would hear it on the radio and I'm like, I have no idea what that line is. I couldn't even make something up and like, just go, you know, kind of mouth it and fake it. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. But so I thought it was cool that you can actually hear the words clearly for that one and, and how the younger folks listening to it for the first time will actually hear what uh, you know, what those names are. So it's uh, it's very interesting. I've enjoyed this album, listening to it, getting to know it a little bit, finding the little intricacies and, and things like that, the arrangements and the, the differences. And I got to say, your voice is, I hope you take this as a compliment. It's meant it. It's, you've got this rich, smooth, full, buttery, rich voice that reminds me of, it doesn't, it's not the same tone. It's a guy. It's like Gordon Lightfoot to me. It just hits me oh, in that sweet You're not the first person who said that to me. I, I have heard that many, many times. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, like we both have sort of that, that Cabernet kind of sound to our voice. You know? <laughs> and uh, it, there's, a, there's a richness. Um, and I like other singers that have that quality too. Mary Travers had that quality. Um, and uh, I, I, and I tend to like, women with lower voices I, I tend to like linda thompson had a bit mm -hmm. of a richer kind of a voice and sandy as well i don't like there's a there's there's a kind of a girl singer that's out there they all sound every commercial i hear everybody sounds like this now they all just sing. it's like sing open yeah. your mouth and sing yeah you know um i mean the country singers all all have big beautiful voices and uh -huh. anyway it's 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 just uh it's a style i guess but um it's funny because <laughs> ann rice gave me a really it was an interesting compliment on her face her facebook page um she spent one sunday afternoon just posting everything i had ever done and she she said you know i i found the voice i've been looking for my whole life why it's neither male nor female it's perfectly androgynous. <laughs> mm. Thank you. <laughs> I think, but she meant. I know. I know what she meant. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I, I, I sort of. I have a. I'm not even really a contralto. Sometimes I feel more like a tenor. You know. Um, but anyway. But um, it's you. That's who you are. It's unique. Yeah. It's great. I know you're doing some live shows. How many of these new songs are you doing at the live shows? Oh, well, when we oh, we're doing all we're we're going to do them all. Okay. And, uh, yes, sir. And uh, so, you know, obviously I have to do a few October project songs. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, we, we pepper the show with some of my stuff and October project. But the bulk of the show, I have been dying to play this record out live with a full band and I can't wait. So I will be. Uh, at City Winery, New York on August 9th. I know it's a Tuesday. I know it's August. I know it's New York, but it's going to be so, it's going to be sort of the official party to release the record. And if you're in New York, where are you based, by the way? I'm in Orlando, Florida. Oh, you're in Orlando. Okay. Well, if you happen to be in New York, <laughs> listeners are in New York. It's going to be a beautiful night, and um, and City Winery is a great place. You can have a wonderful meal, and they have great wine. And then uh, later in the month, we go to City Winery Boston and the Sellersville Theater right near me in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And then we go up again. We, we go up to Plymouth, Massachusetts. And we, we've, if you go to maryfall.com, my full tour is there, and my web store is there, and mm -hmm check out lots of things and hear little samples of the songs from yeah. the record. Get the, you get to hear the songs, you get to uh, order the albums and get them signed and personalized, which is very cool. A lot That's of what I've been doing that. for the past yeah. week. It's a lot of work for you, but it's oh, a very yeah. nice touch. It's a very yeah. nice touch. Um, yeah. yeah, it's been great. I get to talk to you about this record. I'm enjoying the heck out of it. I hope it does very well for you. It's maryfall.com, as you mentioned. Do you, are are you not a big social media person? Are you on any of the social media? Well, I am. I'm not. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't call myself a big. I've been trying because it's 
it's very important in this day and age, if you're indie especially, mm. you get the word out. You know, Facebook is and Instagram, all those things. You you have uh, you 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 really owe it to the work you did on the record to get out and promote that record on those social media sites. So mm-hmm. I I have to get out and do it, and and so I do. I have a social media manager who, who's always nudging me like more, more, I want more. <laughs> So yeah, he cracks the whip. And, gotta uh, have content. Gotta have it. Gotta have it. Right. <laughs> All right. So look up Mary Fall on. You're on. Uh, are you on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook? Oh, Instagram, Twitter. Oh, oh, and they talked me into that that land of the crazies TikTok. Oh no. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Nobody that likes me is going to go on TikTok. I said yet, not yet. Yeah. So yes, I actually am there on on TikTok. And Mary Fall TikTok. I would not have predicted that one. That would not have been uh, on the of my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Mary, you've been lovely. I've, I've really uh, enjoyed talking to you about this album. Again, I hope it does great for you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. It's been really a pleasure. Thank you. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media at Mike's Records on Twitter and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Michael's Record Collection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening. Obviously, you've done this before.